From Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida, this is The Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm Monica Largis, your host today. On this week's episode, Matt Hotho and McGray DeVega interview for our episode on Hebrews and James. They talk with the Reverend Dr. A.K.M. Adam, who is a tutor in New Testament and Greek at the St. Stephen's House in the University of Oxford in England. He has published numerous books on biblical interpretation and has a particular affinity for Hebrews and James, for which he has written commentaries and essays. Back in the 1990s, he was McGray's college professor in religious studies and biblical Greek at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg. You'll note that McGray refers to him as ACMA, which is an acronym of the four initials in his name, which is how he's become known by as many students, colleagues, and readers. You can read his blog at akma.disseminary.org. They start, as many of our podcasts do, with background and context building, first for Hebrews. Then, using Hebrews as a launching point, they talk about how we can see the people of the New Testament working out how Jesus and believing in Jesus relates to the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. That's followed up with more context given to the book of James, which I found enlightening. I think you will too, especially if you have been reading since the Old Testament this year. They cover what is the most well-known idea in James, an argument about faith and works. Now, on to the episode. Well, Akma, what a joy it is to have you join us in our journey through the Bible. Uh, thank you uh, personally for the impact you've made on me in my understanding of the Bible all the way back to my college days. And I'm just delighted that our congregation gets to learn from you about uh, these two wonderful books in the Bible, Hebrews and James. So uh, let's start with the book of Hebrews. Uh, maybe yep. some background from you uh, on uh, perhaps authorship audience as as mysterious as those things might be uh the timeline what can you what can you tell us about where hebrews might have come from well you said the magic word for hebrews and that's mysterious uh because there are very few concrete points of contact with specific settings or people that we can pin down so uh even in the the early church people were dubious that Paul had written, and it seemed as though in antiquity as today, um, everyone had their own favorite idea. Oh, I think Apollos wrote it. Oh, <laughs> Barnabas wrote it. Mm. Oh, um, uh, someone thought, uh, uh, I think Prisca from the Prisca and Aquila team wrote it. Um, people just think stuff up and say, oh, that's, that's the person. So uh, we, we don't have a very substantial reason for associating it, associating it with any single author. Um, it's frequently grouped in with the letters of Paul, but when you read Hebrews alongside the other Pauline letters, it just doesn't sound much like him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, and as I say, even in the early church, people didn't think it sounded like Paul. So I think we're on secure ground. We're not going out on uh, any heretical limbs. Uh, if we say it's there, uh, we cherish it, but we don't know who wrote it. Mm. 
So its credibility as a book is not based on certainty of authorship, which might have been the case for some of the other books. There must be something important or distinct about the content itself that made it important to include in the Bible. What what, what makes this book so important, do you think? Um, it does a very elegant job of making a connection with the scriptural background hmm. for the early Christian movement. Hmm. Hebrews proceeds by a series of mini-arguments from the beginning about how great the gospel is. <laughs> so, no, no objections there. Uh, and how great Jesus is. So, in chapter 1, uh, Jesus is better than the prophets. Yeah. Uh, and in the second part of chapter one, he's even better than angels. <laughs> and in chapter three, he's better than Moses and Joshua. And in chapter four, he's better than the Levites, the priesthood uh, that descended from Aaron. And then in chapter eight, he, he gives us a covenant that's better than the old covenant. Right. And chapter nine, his tabernacle is better better than the tabernacle in the wilderness. And chapter 10, he offers sacrifices, but his is a better sacrifice. <laughs> um, so the risk is that an audience might hear that and think, yeah, Judaism, oh, what a horrible mm -hmm. deal that was, because we've got the, the better thing. Mm -hmm. um, but just when you're in the position of thinking that, and I want to get my Bible out here, Hebrews, the author, uh, starts talking about how great uh, all of the people of, of uh, Israel, uh, the patriarchs and the prophets were. So we get the beloved uh, part in chapter 11 where he goes through um, so great a cloud of witnesses. Right, right. Uh, 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 and lists all the marvels associated with the uh, Old Testament uh, heroes. By faith, Enoch was taken, so he didn't experience death. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. You can almost hear the author saying, imagine that. Uh, he has a message from God, and he just drops everything and starts building an ark. Uh, as though, you know, you do that all the time. Oh, I built an ark in my backyard just uh, the other week. Um, but uh, all of these are extraordinary. Um, uh, Abraham, by faith, uh, left where he, he had, had lived. And set out for a place he didn't even know where he was going. He just trusted God. Um, uh, and so on. He goes through this, this long list of the, the heroes of the, the faith of Israel. And then this is a part I love. And I even choke up a lot when I read it. So if, uh, if I start sounding a little weepy, um, <laughs> please bear with me. Sure. But um, he, he goes through this list. And then in 1113, uh, he says... All of these died in faith without having received the promises, mm -hmm. which is sad enough as it is. Mm -hmm. But then, but from a distance, they saw and greeted them. Mm -hmm. They're like waving from a distance mm -hmm. to the 
the reception of the promises, they confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way, make it clear that they're they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they left behind, they could have gone back. But as it was, they desired a better country, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Mm. So Hebrews isn't saying um, Jesus is better. So too bad for all you losers before. Mm -hmm. He's saying this is all part of the preparation and God has not left them behind. Mm. So these are folks who went to the limit and passed in faith that God was sticking with them, but they didn't receive the promise yet. And this is the pivotal verse uh, on my reading. Since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the um, uh, Israel is being held in abeyance Mm. so that all of us together can be brought to perfection. Not we without them, not they without us, but God's God's, uh, uh, holding on holding on, not yet, but we all will together be made perfect. And I love that about Hebrews. Yeah. So I'd like to go back real quick to, uh, I think, your earliest point about the function of Hebrews, not to demean Jewish tradition, but as a way of of embracing or inviting the Jewish tradition. Just to take a a meta-level here for our congregation and for the listeners, who by the time we get here to Hebrews, we will have read really for the last nine months or so, uh, really for the first eight months of our journey was through the Old Testament, through the Hebrew Bible. Oh, great. And um, throughout that entire stretch, there were many times when we had to guard ourselves against uh, this uh, supersessionist kind of Marcionite uh, perhaps idea that that the Old Testament is secondary. And and it was – it was unavoidable that by the time we got to Labor Day, we got to Jesus and there was just great rejoicing, <laughs> which is a natural thing, I suppose, for, yeah. for us to feel. What would Hebrews say about the way we should relate to what we call the Old Testament uh, to guard us against uh, that kind of superiority to the yes. Old Testament and, and how to embrace it? Uh, in our in in the way that we can understand Jesus, because it does feel like, of all the books in the New Testament, Hebrews might have something to say to us about this. Um, I would take Hebrews as a guide to recognizing positively all the the features of Judaism that one might um, admire, mm. uh, uh, both in Hebrews and sometimes in. Paul's letters, and especially in in Matthew, um, uh, Jesus or Paul or whomever makes comparisons between the gospel that Jesus is about and the traditions of Israel. And, you know, no surprise, we're Christians, we think ours are better. Mm. Uh, If we didn't think they were better, we would be down at the synagogue with our neighbors. Um, But the thing we need to watch very carefully, 
especially for for Matthew, for instance, is that um, Matthew argues, Matthew's Jesus, Jesus in Matthew, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. argues with his interlocutors mm-hmm. uh, as one Jew arguing with other Jews. Mm-hmm. So he's not talking about, uh, uh, let's drop all this stuff and start something new. Uh, but he's, he's saying, um, everything you know and cherish is right, and it comes to expression this way. Mm. And he teaches a somewhat different angle. Now, obviously, the synagogue said, no, not for us. And uh, I, I, I'm not judging uh, by any means. Uh, but the, the point here is that both in the kind of situation that Jesus represents in Matthew and the um, discursive level of Hebrews talking about uh, the heroes of the faith, the temple, the law, the prophets, the angels, for heaven's sakes. Um, uh, if you think about it, if, he, if Hebrews says Jesus is better than the temple, you can no more say, so we don't need that, uh. than we can say, we don't need angels because Hebrews says Jesus is better than angels. Right, right. It's all part of an integrated whole. And right now we don't see the, the, the join that holds us together with Israel. But both in Matthew's gospel, in many parts of Paul, in Ephesians, whether you think Paul wrote it or not, uh, there's this uh, uh, exquisite emphasis on uh, those we who have, have been far off are now brought near. Yeah. There is no more dividing wall of hostility. Yeah. So if in any way we're contributing to a dividing wall of hostility, yes. we haven't understood the gospel. Yeah. Uh, it's up to us to be patient, to know and respect everything that Matthew and Hebrews and Paul want us to respect about the, the history and faith of Israel. Yeah. And to say, we're still waiting to figure out this how, how this holds together. But the fact that it holds together mm-hmm. is unquestionable for us. Our tradition that we have from the New Testament is of people who were Jewish having this experience of the resurrected Jesus and reinterpreting their scriptures literally in front of us on these pages that are now exactly. part of our canon. And uh, John, for instance, is explicit about this. At several points, he says, no, none of the disciples understood this. Right. Afterwards, they looked back and said, oh, yeah, that's like Jesus. Yes. So it's not that they, um, they thought they had a, a, a notebook of prophecies. Uh, uh, let's see. This is a puzzling thing is happening to us. I wonder what it could be. Let's flip to Isaiah. (laughs) Oh, this is from Jeremiah. Something along those lines. Uh, It's that Jesus walked among people, taught, healed, uh, uh, fed, drank with them, um, and went fishing with them even. So, you know, good Floridian connection there. Right. Um, And uh, afterwards, people uh, thought, hey, wait a minute. That's like what I read about in the Torah. That's like a psalm. Mm-hmm. 
uh, this is so cool um, in a way similar. And I don't want to sound blasphemous here, but um, you know how uh, some of the songs that you hear on the radio that really become important to you kind of slot into your life. Uh, they're, they're so meaningful to you. Now, uh, if you track down the songwriter, <laughs> you know, often as not, the songwriter just uh, wanted to make a few bucks, so came up with a catchy song. Right. Said, "Oh, I'm glad that worked for you, McGray. I'm glad uh, glad you liked it." Uh, kind of, uh, kind of demystifies it a little bit, right? Uh, I'm putting my kids through college, <laughs> right. uh, and sometimes the songwriter uh, uh, was thinking. This is so deep and important, and it's about this. And you say, oh, it means so much to me. They say, well, that's not what it means. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, or other things. But uh, the, the Old Testament can work that way for us, too. And in fact, in certain respects, should be a model for us. Oh. Um, St. Augustine said, uh, what could God more graciously and generously have provided then that the same words of scripture might be interpreted in many different ways, so long as they're all building up love, building up the church. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's not about getting the right answer or we've got the right understanding of that prophecy and not those other mm-hmm. people, but rather God uh, set up the scriptures and the spirit and meaning in such a way that we're always finding more. Um, and and that's paradigmatic for the New Testament in general, and I would argue particularly for Hebrews. That's beautiful. So let's skip to the book of James. In some yes. ways, uh, very different uh, from the book of Hebrews. Uh, it has more of a, a style of an epistle, I suppose, but probably Absolutely. still some mystery around its origins. What can you say about the background of this book? Um, well, if you look for clues... Uh, one of the first things you have to do is to forget the name of the book <laughs> because um, uh, everyone will be, well, most of the people in the congregation, presumably, are going to be looking at their, their Bible and they're going to say, oh, it's the epistle of James. But when you're reading it in Greek, um, uh, does either of you remember? Uh, J- J- Jacoba, Jacobus. Jacob. Jacob. Exactly. Hmm. This is the epistle of Jacob. Uh, there isn't one guy named Jim who was a fisherman and a pal of Jesus and another guy who uh, lived ages ago and went down to Jacob because his uh, went down to Egypt because his son Joseph wanted him to go there um, uh, who got in a wrestling match with God and got his name changed to Israel. <laughs> um, it's the same name for both these characters. Mm. Jacob the fisherman is the same guy as the same name as Jacob, the patriarch, mm-hmm. not the same guy, uh, but the same name. Um, so from the very beginning, the, the letter uh, alludes to exactly that identity. Uh, if you, if you read it as uh, the epistle of James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. It sounds uh, maybe a, a rhetorical flourish or something. But when you read the epistle of Jacob to the 12 tribes, those are his sons. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The, the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel is Jacob. Um, so 
the whoever's writing this, whether it actually is someone named Jacob James, and he's uh, playing on his own name, or whether it's someone who's just calling to mind the identity of one of the famous Jamesists in the New Testament. And just as today, there are lots of people named James running around the, the New Testament and trying to figure out exactly which one it, it, it was or was supposed to be uh, is beyond me. Uh, so uh, I think the most important thing is that we catch the resonance right at the very beginning that this is, once again, about Israel. Israel equals Jacob, Jacob equals James. To the 12 tribes uh, who now are scattered all over the Roman world. Remember that only about 10% of first century Jews lived in Judea, Galilee, that area. Everyone else lives in, in communities in Babylon, in Rome, in Alexandria, uh, all over the, the Roman world. So um, James is writing to pretty much everyone. In chapter two, he says, now if someone comes into your synagogue and they're wearing fancy clothes, they've got lots of bling, uh, you pull up a chair and say, ooh, please sit here. This, these are the good seats. But he refers to it as a synagogue, mm -hmm. uh, which suggests that Maybe the audience that Jacob James has in mind hasn't already gotten aboard the idea that, no, we call this thing ecclesia, church. They're still calling it synagogue, synagogue. Yeah. Um, and that's most obvious in a setting where people still think of themselves as being Jewish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they, they're on board with Jesus. They just understand Jesus to be the, um, the ultimate point of the faith that they already hold. Mm -hmm. The way in Matthew, uh, Jesus is represented as being uh, uh, thoroughly Jewish, but greater than the, Sol uh, the, the temple, greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah. Uh, greater than Moses. Uh, so he's Jewish in every way, but the best. Yeah. Oftentimes when we think of the book of James, we think of it being proverbial, kind of a, a practical yeah. how-to book, uh, and similar in style to that Life's Little Instruction book that was popular <laughs> back in the day. But what's fascinating about your reminder of the Jewish context that's uh, surrounding the book of James is that when you look at it that way, this this almost takes on a character of a of a kind of Jewish holiness code. Uh, now we've we've been through the Old Testament, we've read through much of the Torah, and yeah. and it's it, it it feels like kind of an equivocation here that that this is James talking about holiness and righteousness in a kind of speech that would be familiar to Jewish people who grew up with that kind of holiness code. Absolutely, it's. Um he, he says, look, you, you have to actually do this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, as Moses would have said, do this and live. Right. He's reminding them that if you just make notional assent, 
Oh, yeah, I suppose Jesus. Yeah, okay, I'll think of him as God. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, but you're not living it. That that's not, that's not faith that saves. Right, right. That's dead, he says. Yes. Um, uh, if you're not, if, if you see your your brother or sister uh, on the on the pavement, we would say here on the sidewalk, someone a, a homeless person sleeping on the the sidewalk. Here we would say a rough sleeper. Oh, um, and you just say, "Golly, uh, hope you have a good day." Yeah. Uh, 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 hope you get a, a good good soup somewhere. Um, that's not that's not doing anything. You should be feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless. So uh, we might want to consider about James, especially the part in chapter two, where he seems to be taking a a position that's calculated to be exactly opposite what St. Paul says. So St. Paul, uh, notoriously, not notoriously, um, it's a cherished part of our tradition. Uh, St. Paul says that um, faith, that, that uh, works without faith are dead. Yes. Um, uh, and St. James says faith without works is dead. So some people set these up as though they're opposite each other. Uh, as though one of them or the other is responding to uh, the the other one and saying, no, you're exactly wrong. I'm right, and it's this way. But if you read Paul carefully, there's you can never imagine that he's the kind of person who would say, well, listen, so long as you have faith, you don't really have to do anything about it. Right. It's just having a positive regard for Jesus. Um, and... Uh, likewise, James is not saying, don't have faith, just do good things. It doesn't really matter what you believe, as long as you, have do, as long as you do good things. No, he is, is vitally concerned that you uh, hold to the faith revealed to Israel and uh, made present among us in Jesus. Uh, so really, although they have in the past often been set over against one another, uh, Martin Luther referred to James um, and said, uh, "It's it's kindling with which I would willingly I uh, <laughs> kindle the the fire uh, in my living room. That's what it's good for." And he uh, put it at the back of his translation of the New Testament and didn't give it page numbers because uh, he didn't want people to be able to find it conveniently. Oh my I mean, god. That, that, that sort of thing. But there's no need to read those as opposites. It seems to me much more to the point to see them as uh, two, two ways of reaching the same point. Uh, Paul and James would both agree that it's vital to have a saving faith and that it's vital that saving faith come to expression in lives that express that faith in action. Wow. Thank you, Dr. Adam, for joining us today. In this year, isn't it helpful to hear, we who have been far off are now brought near. There is no more dividing wall of hostility. Amen. If you want to hear more, be sure to join us on Facebook. Search for The Bible Project 2020. We're still worshiping online Sundays at 930 and 11 a.m. 
You can join on Facebook or at hydeparkumc.org live. You can keep up to date with changes around COVID and online gatherings at hydeparkumc.org. Thank you to Matt Hotho and McGray DeVega for hosting this episode. Reverend McGray produced this one. I was your editor. I'm Monica Largesse. See you next week.